Well, good morning, Grace Valley Church and friends. Uh, it is great to be coming together with you in worship this morning. Um, if you're a guest or uh, just popping in on the live stream uh, to see what this is all about, we welcome you. We are happy to have you, and we hope that uh, you come away from this uh, edified. Um, if you haven't uh, noticed yet, you eventually will realize that uh, we're not actually live this morning. Uh, we have some unusual circumstances, and as those of you who uh, are on our mailing list and get our weekly update would already know, uh, a member of Pastor Paul's household tested positive for COVID, and so their family is now in quarantine for 14 days, and so he is uh, recording his sermon from home, and we're cutting it into this video, so... Um, there's more information in the weekly updates, uh, so you can know how to pray for them at this time as well. Uh, but do remember them, do keep them in your uh, prayers this week and next. Um, okay, a few announcements for GVC Folk this morning. Uh, beginning with a message from our brother Gerald, who is representing our stewardship team this morning. So uh, take it away, Gerald. Good morning, Grace Valley. On behalf of the stewardship team, John Heisinger, Cecil Alkama, and myself, we wish you a very blessed 2021. I'm speaking to you on behalf of the team to announce the renewal of our pledging process. Many of you would have been in the worship service one year ago when we launched our initial pledging process. One regret that we have is not keeping you informed about the results of those efforts. So before I tell you about this year's program, let me provide you with a 2020 update. We received a total of 33 pledges representing about half of our members and regular attendees. Thank you for your participation in this important campaign and we promise to do a better job keeping you informed of this year's initiative. As we enter into this new year, we're challenging everyone to complete a pledge form again. Think of this as a resolution for 2021. This program is an important evolution of our own personal spiritual growth and also of GVC's transition from a startup to a self-sustaining church. The Bible clearly lays out that we are to be faithful stewards of everything God has entrusted to us. In addition to being responsible for how we treat this planet, we have also been given many gifts, including our time, talents, and treasures. These are not earned by us, but are entrusted to us as gifts from God, and he asks us to be faithful stewards with them, using these gifts for his good. In addition, we are instructed to give to God from our first fruits. So God asks us to give to him first before we consider our other needs. Practically following these clear instructions is a difficult thing to do. All of us find ourselves in different circumstances when it comes to income, job security, mortgages, school payments, and unanticipated expenses. Pledging involves stepping out in faith and placing our fears in God's hands. I'd like to share an allegory that was presented to me many years ago and made a huge impression on my view to financial stewardship. Imagine a tall stepladder with the bottom step representing a level of giving that is best described as an afterthought, while the top rung represents the cheerful giver. The bottom rung is close to solid ground where we are in control, while the top shakier rung requires us to put our faith in others. I think our task, no matter what, no matter which step of that ladder we find ourselves on, 
is to continue to work our way up to the next step. As a church, we are also moving towards becoming self-sufficient financially. In asking everyone to formalize their giving through a pledge, we are also pointing out this important milestone. This week, I'd ask you to consider this. If you haven't pledged before, please prayerfully consider completing a form. Sometimes our good intentions require some accountability for us to follow through on those intentions. We have found in the past that those who pledge are more likely to actually give to the ministries of the church. If you have questions about it, don't hesitate to reach out to Paul or one of the team members. If you have pledged before, we'd encourage you to complete a pledge this year and give some thought to increasing your pledge. Please note, we are not providing any direction on how much you should pledge. Everyone has their own unique financial situation that requires consideration. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There are a few other practical things to consider. Due to COVID, GVC has not been able to have a formal collection during our service, and as a result, giving through our collections was down considerably in 2020. Please consider going to our website and selecting one of the alternative options for giving so that you can meet your pledge. Finally, let me lay out how this process will work. You will receive an email invitation to participate in completing a pledge. We're planning on using Google Forms, which will eliminate the need for handouts, printing, and back and forth emails. The email will provide a link to a form which you can fill out online. Please know that your privacy is very important. Only the treasurer and Pastor Paul will have access to this information. Then when the weekly GVC email is distributed by Kate, it will provide a reminder of this announcement. Thank you for considering your participation in this important step in our call to be good financial stewards. All right, and next up, uh, we are going to be hosting, uh, due to the nature of this crazy year and not being able to meet in person, um, and the fact that we've had a number of people indicate interest in coming into membership here at Grace Valley Church, we felt that we could no longer delay, and so we've decided to come up with a format to do membership classes that is conducive to our current situation. And so Pastor Paul is going to be running uh, a membership class that we would normally do in person for five or six hours together. Um, it, instead, it's going to be split up into five one-hour evenings on Zoom. Uh, it's going to be Thursday nights starting February 4th and running through uh, into March. Um, to register for that, uh, email Kate. Uh, office at gracevalleychurch.ca. Um, and lastly, uh, we simply want to encourage all of our life groups here to stay connected through this season. Um, I've spoken with a number of members from a number of different groups who, uh, who've transitioned into meeting on Zoom now, um, and some of you uh, are continuing to plug away at book studies or Bible studies or even Bible reading plans uh, holding one another accountable and for encouragements. Um, but others have chosen to suspend uh, those types of activities until uh, such a time as they can meet in person again, um, which is fine. But uh, 
whatever you decide to do, what, we, what we're encouraging our life groups to do is to connect regularly. Commit to touching base with your group. At the very least, uh, checking in, seeing how everyone's doing, praying with one another. Uh, if your habit is meeting bi-weekly, uh, that's a good target. Some of you are checking in more often. That's fantastic. Um, but we just, we really want to encourage that, especially through this season of heightened restrictions and uh, just greater social isolation. Um, all right, that is it for announcements. Uh, let's prepare our hearts for worship in prayer together. Uh, Father in heaven, Almighty God, creator and sustainer of everything that is. Uh, Lord, you are so great and so good. Um, And we come here this morning to be reminded of that, Lord, to, uh, to separate ourselves from all of the distractions of day to day life and to really focus on who you are, Lord. Uh, We ask that you would remove all obstacles uh, to us seeing and tasting uh, just how good and how great you are and experiencing that goodness in a time of worship together. Uh, Lord, as we hear your word this morning uh, preached and sung and read and prayed, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would fill us up by it you nourish us by it, strengthen us by it, um, and send us out again into the world uh, equipped, refreshed, and renewed. Um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
6, Paul challenges the Christians at Corinth to live according to their new identities in Christ. And he warns them of the danger of choosing to remain in sinful habits and patterns of behavior. And he goes on to list a number of such habits and patterns like sexual sins and idolatry and greed. But he goes on to say in verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. My friends, if you have thrown yourself on the grace of Jesus and have been joined to him by faith, you have been washed clean. Your identity is now in him. You are no longer identified by your sin. You are no longer a slave to it. You have been set free. You have been washed and made new in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Father, we come before you this morning bathed in the knowledge that the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ is infinitely more powerful than the sin that so easily entangles us. Because of the perfect and complete saving work of Jesus, we are free to stand in your presence just as we are as children standing before their loving Father. And Lord, we are grieved by the way our thoughts, words, and actions have grieved you. And we are tired of trying to maintain control and autonomy over our own lives and circumstances. 
We are exhausted from trying to produce righteousness of our own to present to you and to impress others with. Lord, we come with empty hands, fully dependent on you to fill them. But we don't come as beggars fearing rejection. No, Lord, we draw near to your throne of grace in confidence, knowing that you freely give mercy and grace and help for our times of need. You have told us these things yourself, and though we often struggle to believe them, they remain true, because that is who you are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because there is no variation or shadow of change in you, our identity as your beloved children is ultimately secure, more certain and true and unchanging than anything else in this world. We praise you, Father, for these precious truths. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hear these words from 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Let's sing.
Jenny is going to lead us in prayer, and then Faith is going to read our text for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word and the promise of your presence, strength, and faithfulness. Lord, help us to hear and know your peace and to feel faith, not fear, as we step into a new reality once again with further life restrictions. We know this is necessary, and yet we are feeling fatigued with what the COVID pandemic presence continues to be and how our lives are directly impacted. God, we thank you for our Grace Valley community, for our host, Knox Church, for the space we currently are able to use for our live stream services, for our staff, Pastor Paul, Mark, Kate, Abby, our worship and tech teams, and the technology to put together our weekly services, for our life groups, for the progress on vaccines, Thank you that people are receiving protection in this way. Lord, please hear our prayers for Knox Church and the family of Bob Sword as they are grieving the sudden loss of a member of their community. Bob was a longtime member of Knox and was a major contributor to establishing Grace Valley's relationship with Knox Church. Bring comfort and strength to his family and the Knox community in this loss. Be with Nicole Stevens' aunt, who is in the ICU in California from COVID. Bring healing and wholeness to her. And Lord, be with all others currently dealing with positive, positive COVID results. Continue to be with Eddie and Mernie in their health path and bring healing in their lives. Be with students, teachers, and other school staff and parents navigating the changing situation and the daily effort of remote teaching and learning. Bless them with patience and grace for themselves and each other. Be with all those on the front lines. Give them strength for physical and mental challenges of working in the midst of the surging second wave. Keep them safe, Father. We know there are more among us with physical and mental health concerns, with anxieties about their work or businesses, and we again just pray for your healing and peace on all who need you. Be it the lonely and the vulnerable, which is more acute during these lockdowns. We boldly ask once again for a flattening of the curve worldwide. We pray this coming week for a peaceful transition of the leadership in the U.S. And please bless all our leaders in our city, our province, our country, and our world. Give them wisdom and clarity courage, and resolve to make prudent decisions in their roles. God, it's difficult to experience increased restrictions again. Please give, give us your strength to face with grace whatever happens and to keep our eyes open to protect the vulnerable among us, to share our blessings as you call us to do. Father, we pray now for attentive ears as your words are spoken to us. Amen. Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, 
The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. The angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, obviously, you can see that I'm uh, not coming to you from the sanctuary at Knox Presbyterian Church. I'm coming to you from my home uh, this morning. And uh, I know that we uh, have been spending the last number of weeks searching for a gnome. And uh, hopefully you'll still be able to uh, look for them, kids. But uh, I also have a few friends along with me this morning that I uh, have on the shelf behind me. And I encourage you to find them. There's four of them. Uh, by the way, and uh, that's uh, something that you can keep your eyes peeled for as we uh, as we listen to God's word together. Thank you for reading, uh, and we're going to uh, continue in our series on the Jesus Storybook Bible and the various stories that we find uh, in that uh, together. Let me start uh, by just asking a question: uh, If you had a perfect character. That is, you were, you were flawless. You lived the most supreme life possible, meaning that you, you, you demonstrated excellence of character, and you, you seemed to have a beautiful nature about you, and you were, you were kind of perfect in every way. You were so filled with the Holy Spirit that your life was totally pleasing to God, and you were totally pleasing to God. If you could be that, how do you think your life should go? What kind of life do you think you should have? The reason I ask this is because there's, there's a, an unspoken lie that exists in our minds. It's something that we don't say. It's something that we don't typically articulate. Uh, but it's this. We believe it without saying it. We believe that if we live a good life, if we do the right things, well, then we should have a good life. Things should go well for us. Or, or let me put it to you this way in a more kind of religious uh, way. We think to ourselves, if I obey God, if I do the things that God wants me to do, then my life should go generally pretty smoothly. You see this when a Christian sometimes faces crisis. Um, let's say they're in financial trouble or they have a relationship problem in their family or, or something like that. Or maybe it's a health uh, concern and maybe they know someone who's kind of an ornery atheist and the atheist may ask them, where is your God now? Uh, if they're not an ornery atheist, maybe they'll just think it. Uh, and the Christian, even though they may not articulate it this way, they might think the same thing themselves. They might say, yeah. Where is my God now? I mean, I've been trying really hard. I've been doing my very best with my family and in my employment and uh, at school and all the places I find myself. And, you know, I've been sacrificing for Jesus even. I've been working hard for the sake of the kingdom. I'm trying my best. And then you struggle and, and you say to yourself, well, what gives? Well, here's what gives, friends. Only one person lived a perfectly sublime life. His name was Jesus. And we saw last week that he was completely pleasing to his father. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, 
we hear that God spoke these words over his son at his baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus lived a life that completely pleased the Father. And in fact, he completely pleased the Father. But what happens? He's affirmed by the Father. He's told by his Father how much he loves him. And immediately in verse 4, or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word then is really, really important because it actually connects the events of chapter 3, which was Jesus' baptism, with the events of chapter 4, which is Jesus' temptation. In other words, Jesus hears this voice from heaven, this voice of affirmation, and then he hears a voice from hell. He hears this voice of affirmation, and then he hears a voice that questions that affirmation. He receives comfort from the Father, and then he is immediately driven out into the desert to experience deprivation in that wilderness. He got hungry. He got thirsty. And all of it, we read, is actually initiated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Here's the principle, friends. This is the pattern of the Christian life. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is a fight. You see, the moment you unite, you are united to Jesus Christ, the moment you trust in him as your Savior, the moment you say, Jesus is the Son of God who lived for me and died for me, and I am giving myself over to him, the moment you do that, you are walking into a spiritual battle. You will have trouble in your life. And you might say to yourself, well, why in the world is that? Like, why does that happen? Well, think about this. The Bible says that until you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. You are spiritually dead. Now, someone who is spiritually dead can't fight. A, a physically dead person, a corpse, can't fight either. And in fact, a spiritually dead person doesn't even know that there is a fight to be had. But the gospel is that you are made alive with Christ. When you put your trust in him, he gives you spiritual life. And now, immediately, you engage in the spiritual battles of this life. Well, we're going to look together this morning at what that battle is. We're going to see that there's a tempter. We're going to see that he has a tactic. And then we're going to see how we can defend ourselves. That's what we're going to look at together. First of all, there's a tempter. It says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit led him there and the devil tempted him there. Now, the Holy Spirit, as we all know, is the third person of the Trinity. He is God himself. And so because God cannot tempt us, the scriptures say, it's not the Holy Spirit that's doing the tempting. However, the Holy Spirit is the one who creates the conditions for the tempting. I think at the outset, I better clarify something. The word uh, used for tempt in this passage is the word parazo. It's a Greek word, of course. And it also carries a, uh, the, the connotation of testing. Uh, kind of like um, testing the, the strength, what's called the tensile strength of uh, metal. 
So the Holy Spirit has led Jesus into this desert to be tested, and the devil wants to use this opportunity to tempt him. There's, a, there's something we should remember. When, when we are tested by God, and we experience that kind of temptation, it is not meant to make us sin. It's actually meant to enable us to conquer sin. It's not meant to weaken us. What it's meant to do is, is to, to actually enable us to emerge stronger from the ordeal, finer, purer, like metal that is put in a, in a really hot furnace and heated up so that the, the impurities are burnt off and all you have left is, left is that pure gold. Listen to how William Barclay, who is a, a New Testament scholar from uh, the last century, put it. Listen to what he says. Temptation is not the penalty of being a man. Temptation is the glory of being a man. It is the test which comes to a man from who, a man who God wishes to use. Sorry, I'll read that again. It is the test which comes to a man whom God wishes to use. So then, we must think of the whole incident, not so much the tempting as the testing of Jesus. So what he's saying is, is that Jesus is being tested by the Holy Spirit, and yet the devil is trying to use that occasion to tempt Jesus. Now, who is this tempter? The devil. Well, we know from Scripture that the devil was a, an, is an angelic being who wanted to usurp God's authority and wanted to take God's place on the throne of the universe. And so he rebelled against God and he fell. And ever since then, he has, he has opposed God at every turn and he has done everything in his power to, to destroy God's good world and to destroy God's creation and to destroy God's purposes for creation. And what that means, friends, is that evil actually has a personal intelligence behind it. The evil that you and I see in the world has a personal intelligence behind it. It doesn't mean that this being, the devil, is responsible entirely for all the evil that we see in the world, but it does mean, it does mean that there is a supernatural, a transcendent being that is behind much of the evil that we see all around us. And you might say to yourself, well, that's kind of an old-fashioned, foolish idea from the ancient days, but think about this. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in an all-good, supernatural being? That's who God is. It's not intellectually irrational to also believe that there is an all-bad supernatural being. Jesus, who is God, and who is perfect in every way, and who is far smarter and less naive than any of us, he believed in the devil, absolutely. That's the first thing we should think about. The second thing I would say about this is this. If you want to be shrewd about evil, about its seriousness, and about how to deal with it, and how to conquer it, you need to believe in the devil. You don't want to be naive. If you're naive, you can't defeat your enemy. If you're naive about your enemy, you cannot overcome his tactics and his forces. 
Think about all the bad things that happen in the world. How do we account for the problems that exist in your personal life and then also in the wider world in which we live? Without a devil, we have to reduce those things to biological factors or social conditions or psychological problems or maybe even a lack of education. And if you want to fix these problems, if you want to be engaged in the work of undoing uh, the evil that you see around us, then you would say that what we need are better laws around equal opportunity. Um, maybe you would say we need a better education system. Maybe you would see that we need better social safety nets. But then you're only dealing with part of the problem. You see, friends, our battle is not just with the evil that's out there. Our battle is with the evil that's in here, and it's also with the evil, for lack of a better term, up there. And the Bible gives us a fulsome, robust picture of the nature of evil, just as it gives us a fulsome, robust nature of the picture of salvation and redemption. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this subject and unpack it a little further in the podcast. So if you have questions about this, just keep your ears open for that. Okay, so the devil is the tempter. We've established that. How does he tempt? What are his tactics? You may remember last week I said that Jesus came as our representative because he is the second Adam. Jesus came to do what Adam failed to do in the Garden of Eden. Adam was supposed to love God and trust God and obey God and then live in perfect harmony and communion with God. But he failed at that. And Jesus came to fulfill what Adam was unable to accomplish for us. And the text actually um, kind of uh, creates the atmosphere to remind us of that. So here's what I mean. Adam and Eve, they were tempted in a garden. Jesus undergoes his trial in the desert. Adam and Eve had all the food they could ever want, and they were their bellies were full. Jesus, we read, was deprived, and he was hungry, and he was thirsty. Adam and Eve lived in this intimate relationship of, of companionship without sin. Jesus was alone in the desert, and he had no companion at all. Adam and Eve were tempted to eat of this tree that God had said they ought not eat. And Jesus' temptation starts the same way. And basically, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, as Genesis records it, they were tempted to be like God. If you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here, Jesus is being questioned about his identity as the Son of God. So the point of the test is the same. Basically, Satan came to Adam and Eve and he said to them, did God really say? See, he was sowing the seeds of doubt in their mind. Essentially, the issue was this. Can you trust God? Can you really trust God? I mean, can you really believe everything that he says? And Satan comes to Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones 
into bread. He doesn't say to Jesus, you know, if you're the son of God, I want to see how powerful you are and, and watch you do some amazing trick. No, no, no. He's attacking what God said to Jesus uh, just moments before when Jesus heard those words, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. You see, Satan is asking Jesus this question. How in the world could the Son of God suffer such deprivation, such loneliness? I mean, I can't see how God would treat his own son that way. Are you sure that's who you are? And then he moves him to the temple. He takes him up to the, to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, Hey, float, throw yourself off the temple and float your way down. And you know what? People will believe in you because that would be an incredible miracle. In other words, he says, look, the mission that you have to go to this cross, it's unnecessary. Suffering is something that should be avoided. If you're going to draw all people to yourself, you don't have to do that from a cross. You could do that with an incredible miracle that'll make everybody stand in awe of you. And then, of course, he says... Come with me to uh, this mountaintop. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. Your father is going to give these kingdoms to you because they're your inheritance? Well, I'm in charge of these kingdoms. All you have to do is just bow down to me. It's just you and me here, Jesus. You can do it anonymously. Just a, a quick bow, a quick little genuflect, and it's all yours. You see what Satan is doing is, is he is hurling. He is hurling himself against Christ's mission, which was to live as our substitute and die as our substitute. Satan doesn't want Jesus to be our substitute. He doesn't want Jesus to succeed where Adam had failed. And the way he attacks is he, he tries to, to shake Jesus' faith in God's words. Essentially, he questions God's trustworthiness, just like he did with Adam and Eve. And friends, this is how the devil works. You know, uh, we tend to, to think of the devil in sensational terms, and we kind of expect him to attack us in spectacular ways, you know, like, we look for spinning heads and levitating chairs and the kind of things you see in those scary movies that are, are really not worth watching, but people seem to like to watch them anyway. But the reality is, is that's not how the devil works. He's far, far more subtle, far more subtle. Here he's saying to Jesus, did God really say that you're his beloved son? Are you really sure that you are cherished and delighted in by the Father. Look, here's how it kind of works. You're suffering trials. Uh, COVID has put all kinds of stress on families, mine included. You know, I used to think that my house was easily big enough for all of us. And as we quarantine ourselves, we are discovering that this house is not as big as we thought it was. And it puts strain on families. It might be putting strain on your families, financial strain. Um, and and you're, you're struggling financially and you see other businesses are thriving because of the pandemic, not just in the midst of it, but it has actually created opportunities for them. 
uh, your kids want to kill each other because they're in such close quarters. And you hear stories of how other families are just loving this family time together and they're doing game nights together and they're cooking together and the kids just seem to love studying and doing their schooling from home. And the devil comes along and he says to you, what gifts, eh? I mean, why is this happening to you? I thought you were a child of God. I thought that you were living for Jesus and now you're experiencing all this kind of hardship and struggles. Well, those people down the street, they seem to be walking on sunshine. Or maybe you commit a sin. Maybe you do something. Maybe in, in this COVID uh, context, you find yourself so pressured and so tempted, you commit a sin that you never thought that was possible. You never thought you would ever do something like that. And the devil comes along and he says to you, how could you? How can you call yourself a Christian when you did that? How can you be a beloved child of God when you're willing to do that? I thought you loved Jesus. And maybe you start thinking in yourself to your to yourself. Um, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if he's right. You see, the devil, he wants to undermine your faith in the Word of God. That's how he does it. Just think. God comes to you, and in his word, what does he say? He says, put your trust in me. Give me your life. Submit yourself to me. And I promise you that you will find fulfillment. Jesus said, I come to give life and life abundantly. I come to satisfy you. I come to give you hope. I come to give you joy. I come to give you complete and utter fulfillment. Now, why do you sin? When you do sin, why? What are you looking for? What are you after? Well, it's all those things, isn't it? It's, it's satisfaction and it's hope and it's joy and it's fulfillment. And in the moment of the sin, you're believing the lie. You're believing the lie. This is how the devil attacks. He comes in and he undermines our faith in the word of God. Well, what do we do about that? What's our defense? Well, we defend ourselves. The way we, we can defend ourselves, there are two ways that, that we learn. And the first is we need to remember that Jesus is our substitute. If you forget this, friends, you will be crushed. You know, you, the devil comes to you and he, he whispers these lies to you and they they kind of worm their way into your brain and you think, maybe he's right. I mean, why should I suffer if I'm trying so hard to be good? Or, or maybe you're saying to yourself, well, because I suffer, I must not be beloved by God. I can't be his child if these are the things that, that I do. But when you see Jesus as your substitute, when you see him going into that desert and being tested by the devil to an extent that you and I could never, ever imagine, the, the amount of pressure that Satan placed upon him. You know, many scholars say that it wasn't like at the end of 40 days, the devil finally came and tempted Jesus. Many scholars say that, that what happened was, was that during his 40 days in the wilderness, the devil was there always returning, always returning, and trying again, and trying again. 
But if you see Jesus as your substitute and taking that for you, and that he lived for you, and that he died for you, and that when you're united to him, when you put your trust in him, when you hold on to him for everything, the God who created you has become your father. And those words that Jesus heard in chapter 3, those beautiful, beautiful words, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You hear that those words are for you. And it is guaranteed that they are for you. That you are pleasing to God through Jesus. And that nothing that happens to you can change that. Well, it changes your attitude. Because you see your problems. You see your family struggling through COVID. You see your business struggling through COVID. You see your marriage struggling through COVID. You see your education struggling through COVID. You see all these things struggling through COVID. And you say, I know this cannot be punishment. It can't. Jesus was punished for me and God is just and he cannot exact punishment for sin twice. Rather, you know that you're being tested to be strengthened. In other words, if you have trouble, you can say, this is because the Holy Spirit is, he wants to progress salvation in me. He wants to expand the benefits of salvation in my life, or he wants to to gain progress for salvation through me, perhaps in the life of another. And oftentimes, it's both. Faith, fulfillment, satisfaction, hope, joy, all those things will be increased even through this trial. It will make a huge difference in how you face your hardships day by day. That's one thing. The other thing is, is that Jesus used the word. He used the word. You know, it's pretty clear throughout the story when it, when he keeps saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. He just keeps coming back with, it is written. Jesus knew the Bible better than the devil did. And each time he's attacked by the devil, he uses God's word to respond, to defend himself, to to deflect the attack, to overcome the devil's temptations. Even when the devil tried it himself, the devil tried to use the Bible against Jesus too. And the point is, is that Jesus was bound to the word of God. Now, what I mean by that is he didn't just know it, he obeyed it. You know when when the devil said, um, change these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. And he could have stopped right there. He could have just said, look, Satan, I'm, I'm in the middle of a fast. The Father has not instructed me to break my fast, and therefore I'm not going to break my fast. I am going to obey. But he goes on and he says, but man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's telling the devil, listen, I'm not just going to know God's word. I am going to be bound to it. I am going to be fed by it. I am going to be empowered by it. I am going to be strengthened by it. I am going to live and die by the word of God. He was the opposite of Adam and Eve, 
who, when Adam and Eve were questioned, they knew what God had said. And actually, if you read Genesis chapter 3, you discover that they kind of tweak a little bit what God had said, which means you wonder how well they knew what God had said, but they certainly didn't obey what God had said. Here's the point. The Apostle Paul says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Now, a sword is something you have to wield. You have to wield it. A sword is no good if you run into battle and it's just sitting in its scabbard on your side. What you need to do is you need to pull it out and you need to use it on the lies you're being told. The lie that says you are not delighted by the Father. And you pull out Ephesians 1 and you say, Praise be to our God and Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with Christ, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have to wield the sword of the, the, sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and you have to say to yourself or say to the devil, Get behind me, Satan, because my father has told me, this is my daughter, this is my son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. You've got you to gotta do both. You know, James, in James chapter 4, he says, submit yourselves to God. That means not just hear God's word, but trust God's word, live out of God's word, act on God's word as it speaks in your life. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Friends, thanks be to God that Jesus did it all for us. And because he did it all for us, those words of affirmation that he heard are guaranteed for you and me. There is nothing, nothing that can change that. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus was so committed to his mission to be our substitute that he resisted the devil to the very end. Father, we don't. Too often we listen to his lies. We believe them and we act out of them. And then we pay the awful price. Father, forgive us for that. Thank you that we don't have to perfectly resist the devil in order to gain your favor. But let that amazing truth sink into our hearts and, and empower us and encourage us to resist him when we hear him lie. And when he tries to speak these lies to our hearts, Father, may we, may we remember, may we remember, may we remember that Jesus did it once for all that he who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can actually become what you see us as, holy saints, beloved, cherished, and righteous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
stood a precious tree, the emblem of salvation, the gift of Calvary. How is it I should profit while he is crucified? Yet as his life was taken, so I was granted mine. My wealth is And all my wealth is in the cross. I will not boast in riches. I have no pride in stand in glory my crowns before the Lord let this be my confession my wealth is in the cross my wealth is in the
All right, it's time for our benediction. And, you know, we've been talking about how the devil tries to undermine our belief in the true words of God. And so I want to read to you part of Ephesians chapter 3. And these are words that are true because what Jesus of what Jesus has done for you. And he says this, he, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, listen to this, friends. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Please stand and receive the parting blessing of your gracious Father. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages and forever. Amen. Have a wonderful day.